Well, this week we take a pivot in our road trip series. We've been doing a series on listening to God um, through the analogy of a road trip um, for the last several weeks. And so today we take a little bit of a turn in that series, road trip turn, you know, pun intended. Um, But we will be focusing for the next few weeks on people who listen to God and respond. So we're going to look at some biblical characters. And so this morning we're looking at the story of Esther. And before we dive in, um, we're going to do a listening to scripture exercise. But before we even do that, I feel like we need to take a little bit of like background for Esther. Um, Because when I thought about preaching on Esther, I realized that Esther is 10 chapters long. And how do you do all of that history in like 20 minutes ish? Um, So thank you for that laugh. So we're going to talk a little bit about the history before we do the passage we're going to focus on this morning. So Esther uh, lived during the time of right after the Babylonian exile. So when um, the Jewish people were put into exile during the Babylonian um, empire rule, at the end of the exile, Persia beat Babylon, Babylon, Babylon. Wow, words are hard. Persia beats Babylon. And they uh, put out an edict that people can go back to their homeland. The Jewish people can go back to where they're from. But some people chose to stay in the lands where they were exiled. And so the story of Esther is a story of the people who decided to stay in Persia, even though they were allowed to go back home. Um, They stayed there. So they were a Jewish people living um, in Persia. And in the book of Esther, we're in the capital called Susa. And in that capital, there is a king named King Xerxes. And he's not like the greatest example of a king. Um, If you read the story, he's really wishy-washy. And he does, spends a lot of his time feasting and drinking and then making poor decisions um, for his country after the drinking. Um, So what we open with in Esther is he is in the middle of a feast And on the seventh day of the feast, um, he sends for his queen, Queen Vashti, to come to him and kind of parade her beauty in front of all of his guests. And Queen Vashti says, no thanks, I'm good. And he is not happy about that. And so he makes an edict to banish Queen Vashti. And she is like no longer queen. She's gone forever. Uh, However, like a few days later when he's done with the feast and he's back into his normal everyday life, um, the king is a little bit like lonely and sad. And so his friends, his attendants, his advisors say, you should have all of the like pretty people, pretty women in the country come and like have a beauty pageant and you can pick your next queen. Because if you're lonely, you just need a new queen. So that's what King Xerxes does. He sends out this edict that all of the people should send their young women to him so that he can pick one to be their queen. And Esther, who was originally named Hadassah, um, is one of those people. She was an orphan. Um, she was raised by her cousin named Mordecai. Um, and so she goes to uh, the palace and does all of these beauty treatments. She's found in favor with one of the attendants, so she gets special food, special beauty treatments. Um, and in the end, when it's time for her to be be with the king, uh, she gets chosen and she becomes queen, and there's like a whole celebration. She's Queen Esther, and it's awesome. Then, 
Um, Mordecai, her cousin, overhears a plot to kill the king. And he tells Esther, and so then Esther goes to the king, and the king is like, Mordecai is the best because he just saved my life. And so he celebrates Mordecai. Um, and then he kind of forgets a little bit about that situation. Oh, there's a mic. I'm going to just move this real fast. Um, so he kind of forgets that situation, and he brings up a man named Haman to be his second in command. And Haman, um, when he becomes second in command, is kind of a little bit intense about it. And so he walks around and forces people to bow to him every time he's like in any public space. Um, so he just like goes around the kingdom waiting for people to bow down to him. Um, Mordecai refuses to bow to him. And so Haman gets real mad at Mordecai, finds out that Mordecai is a Jewish person, and decides that instead of just punishing Mordecai, he's going to kill all of the Jewish people in the nation. So he goes to King Xerxes, and he gets, makes a feast and makes sure that King Xerxes has a little too much to drink, and then convinces him to make an edict to kill all of the Jewish people in Persia. And King Xerxes says, okay, that sounds good. And they roll a die, and they pick a day, and in 11 months, they're going to annihilate all of the Jewish people in the land. And so they send an edict to all the people and say, on this day in 11 months, you have the right to kill anybody that is a Jewish person in your midst. And so Mordecai is really upset about this, obviously, because he is a Jewish person and he will be killed in 11 months. And so he does um, what is a typical Jewish morning ritual where he tears his clothes, he puts on ash and sackcloth, and he stands at the palace gates um, in mourning. And that is where we're picking up our story. So we're all on the same page now, right? I just did like four chapters of Esther in like 10 seconds. So in order to get into our story today, we're going to be in Esther chapter 4. So if you want to open um, your Bibles to Esther chapter 4, um, and we're going to focus on the section of verses 5 through uh, 17. And the way that we're going to do this this morning um, is an exercise called imaginative prayer. And if you are in here and you're a youth, this may sound familiar because we've done this once or twice, but what you're going to need is you're going to need your Bible open or your Bible app, and if you want to write down anything, you can use your bulletin and a pen, um, or you could just kind of be in the present moment. And how this is going to work is I'm going to read through the passage slowly, and um, our hope is to put ourselves into the biblical story. So you're going to engage all of your senses and imagine what it was like to be in the story. So think about what you see, think about what you would be hearing, what you would uh, taste, touch, smell. And I'm going to read slowly and we're going to give them silence at the end to just stay in that biblical story and really kind of pick a character maybe to identify with or maybe you're just on the sidelines watching what's happening, but really try to put yourself into the story and we're going to read it through. I'm going to give a little bit of silence at the end and then we'll talk about what this passage means for us this morning. So kind of get comfortable, close your eyes, take a few deep breaths. Imagine that you are in the story in the time of Esther. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to her as an attendant. 
She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. And Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same, and then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Stay in the story for just a moment. Notice what you see or hear around you. And as you come um, back into the present day, if you want, you can jot down a few things that stood out to you or some things that you noticed. And then let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the places where we can see you at work in these words. As we come before you this morning, God, would you speak to us? Would you use your word to show us your heart? In your holy name we pray, amen. Esther's one of my favorite stories. I know you're not supposed to have favorites of things, but it's one of my favorite stories. And this morning when I was saying it um, before our run-through meeting, Kevin asked me if it was because she wore fancy clothes or because she was a little fancy, and it might be. It might be that. The thing is, the phrase that we pull out of the Esther story comes from these verses, the, for such a time as this, right? You've all heard that. Um, there's a Beth Moore study, and she talks a lot about um, for such a time as this. And sometimes we forget, when we focus on that phrase, what happens right before that phrase, and it's that Esther said no. Right? At first, Esther says no. And I think it's fascinating to me because Esther has been taken from her family. She was orphaned, so she already had a little bit of um, some hard times in that. 
She was taken from her family that raised her, Mordecai, and was put into the palace when she was very young. She spent 12 months getting beauty treatments and being accustomed to the way of life within the palace. She probably forgot a lot about what it meant to be Jewish by the time this story comes around. Because after she was queen and after all of the um, excitement of that, it had probably been a few years before this story happens. I said it all in about 10 seconds, but it had been several years before all of this stuff happened with Haman. And so I'm sure when she hears that Mordecai is out at the palace gate and she sends her attendants to him, she doesn't have any idea what's happening. She hasn't gone to see the king in 30 days, and most likely what's happening is that she just lives in her palace room with her maids and her attendants, and her world has become very, very small. Her world is all about living her life as queen, which basically in that time meant waiting for the king to call her to him. So by the time she finds out that Mordecai is at the gate mourning and she sends her attendants and she gets back this message, she's probably heartbroken. But she's also probably thinking, but nobody knows that I am Jewish. And nobody knows that these are my people. And I don't think she meant that in like a scapegoat way. Like I don't think she was trying to get away from the annihilation. I think she honestly just felt powerless. She felt as though she had nothing that she could do in her control. Everyone knows, the way she responds to Mordecai is that everyone knows that if I go to the king without him being asked, I will be killed unless he extends his gold scepter to me. Everyone knows that. I can't just walk into his court and say, hey, could you not kill the Jews? That'd be great. She knows that that would mean certain death for her. And so she at first says, no. And then Mordecai comes back at her with like, do you think that you're going to be different than the rest of us? Do you think that just because you're in the palace, it's not going to somehow come out that you're Jewish and you're not going to get killed? Your privilege is not going to save you, Esther. And maybe, just maybe, you're queen because of this moment. Maybe you're queen to save all of your people. But the thing that Mordecai also says is like, if you don't go, deliverance is going to come some other way. Because God is good and God made this promise to his people. And deliverance is going to come some other way. So you don't have to step up and do this thing, but you're not going to be saved by not stepping up to do this thing. And then... Esther calls for a fast and says she's going to do it. And in the calling for the fast, she says, if I die, I die. So like that whole like back and forth conversation is really interesting to me because it seems like she changed her mind real fast. And I don't think that it's because she figured out that she would probably die anyway. I think it's because she heard her cousin through somebody else, but she heard her cousin calling her out for who she was. Author and speaker Joe Saxton writes about um, this book, and she says that Esther doesn't need to be reminded who she's become. She needs to be reminded who she is. Esther was raised to know who God was. 
And even though she was separated from her family at her young age, she knew God's call on her life. She knew who God had created her to be. And Mordecai just needed to remind her. And this story is an interesting one to pick for listening to God and responding because it's one of the few books of the Bible that doesn't have God's name in it. But that doesn't mean that God's not in it. God's providence is all over the story of Esther. The way that she is chosen, the way that she is raised, the way that God creates this favor for her, King Xerxes does extend the golden scepter to her. She's allowed um, to start a feast to be able to convince the king, and she ends up saving the Jewish people. God works through Esther because she makes this choice. But it's interesting to say that Esther listened to God when it seems like God wasn't speaking to her directly. And there's a lot of times in my life that I feel like God is not speaking directly to me. And I realize that what God is doing in those moments is that he's still speaking, I just can't hear him. I've allowed things in my life to come up that have blocked out the sound of what God's voice sounds like to me. And in those moments, I need my community to come alongside of me and to point out where God is still speaking. Because the promise of God is that he is still speaking at all times, right? We have the Holy Spirit. When Jesus died and went to heaven, he gave us um, the spirit in order for us to have communion with God. So we know that God is at all times speaking to us. We just have to be able to listen, And there are times in our lives where we allow the world around us to get so loud that we can't see where God is speaking. And we need the people in our lives to kind of come in and say, hey, remember who you are. Remember who God called you to be. And I feel like this is where Esther is. Esther has allowed her situation, her removal from her people to let her forget who she is and who she was created to be. The world around her got too loud. She got too used to living in her privilege to hear what God was calling her to do in this situation. Let's remember that she didn't even know that the Jewish people were were going to be killed. She had to be told that because her world had become so small. And so Mordecai comes to her and he reminds her of who she is, who she was created to be, and he calls out the fact that she needs to speak up for her people. He calls her out. I have, uh, one of my aunts has this phrase above her kitchen that says, um, friends are the people who know the song of your heart to sing it back to you when you've forgotten it. Um, And I remember when I was younger and I asked her what that meant, and she said, Alicia, you need people in your life who just know you, who know who you are, so that when the world gets a little crazy and you're feeling a little bit um, powerless or you feel like you can't go on and you've forgotten who you are, those people can sing back that song to you can remind you of who you are. And Mordecai is that person for Esther. Who are the people in your community that are those people for you? The world around us can get super crazy. 
Who are the people that you surround yourself with who are going to sing that song back to you to remind you that you were created by the Almighty God for a purpose and help you to remember what that purpose is? Now, the next thing that Esther does is that she calls for a fast, which is really interesting to me because it's like the exact opposite of everything that King Xerxes has done in this story. When you put the fast versus the feasting, you see these two very different ways of living life. Another commentary that I read this week mentioned that when um, Esther is fasting, she's actually getting further away from why she was like, um, presented as queen. In that time, um, in order to be beautiful uh, in the world, you ate a lot of food in order to look bigger. It was a, a part of their culture. And so for her to fast and to not eat or not drink for three days would actually, in their time and their standards, make her less beautiful to the king. And if you're going, if you are chosen to be beautiful, if you're going to your king to like make him want you, make you do the thing that you want him to do, you should probably be the version of yourself that he wants. But instead, she fasts. She does something countercultural in order to gain the strength to do what she needs to do. And not only does she fast, but she calls for her maids to fast, her attendants, and she tells Mordecai to tell everyone in the kingdom to fast alongside of her. Because even if she can't see her people, the knowledge that she is fasting alongside of her people, that her people are in solidarity with her outside the palace walls, was enough strength that she needed to do what she needed to do. And that is what's beautiful about the church community, about community in Christ. When I'm feeling overwhelmed about something, I need the people in my life to show up alongside of me. Just this past week, I have a, a group of friends um, that are all female pastors, and I just kind of sent out a text to them and said, like, hey, I'm having a hard week, and I really just need you to pray for me. And immediately shot back all of these responses, praying for you, here's a Bible verse to encourage you, here's a way that I'm seeing God at work in what you're doing. We need that community. We need the people around us to pray with us, to be with us in these times that we want to do hard things. Earlier, Paul read a passage from Ephesians for us. And in Ephesians, when we talk about what it means to have community, when, it talk, when we talk about what it means um, to be the church of Christ, these words are exactly what we're talking about. Here again, verses 14 through 16. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We learn from Jesus. We learn what it means to be a community from the way that Jesus walked the earth, the way he treated his disciples and the way that he treated everyone that he came in contact with. And that's what Paul is writing in Ephesians, is that we become the church. We become the body of Christ through love and community. 
We are given different jobs. We are different, give, given different gifts in order to fully express the kingdom in our world. Esther needed a Mordecai. Mordecai needed an Esther to be able to go to the king and speak on the behalf of all the Jewish people. Mordecai couldn't do it. They needed each other to be able to do the things that they were called to do. And so the question that I have for us this morning is where do we see ourselves in this story? Are we an Esther? Have we allowed um, the world around us to get a little bit too loud that we've forgotten what it means to be a created child of God? Do we need a reminder from our people of who we are and what we were called to do? Are we a Mordecai? Do we have the ability and the relationship to speak courage into someone around us? Are we seeing a situation that is happening and we need to speak the truth in love to encourage them and to remind them who they were called to be? Where do we need the strength of community to come alongside of us this morning? Where is the place that we want to live into in order to respond to what God is calling us? Esther may have felt like she was powerless. She may have felt like God was not speaking to her, but her community reminded her otherwise. God is always speaking. Are we listening through our community? Would you pray with me as we get ready for um, continuing in worship? Gracious God, I thank you for this community of Roseville Covenant. I thank you for the chances that we get to live life together and walk alongside one another, God. And as we continue um, in our week, God, would you speak to us through our people? Would you send your spirit upon us to know when we need to speak up, when we need to encourage one another, when we need to love one another, God, that whatever our circumstances are, we wouldn't allow those to dictate our actions or inactions. God, you are good and your promises are true. May we rest in those things this morning. Pray all these things in your holy name. Amen.